Good morning, beautiful people, sons and daughters, lovers of Jesus, and those who are seeking his name. We bless you this morning. We bless you this morning. And we bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen? Say it with me. Jesus has something good for me today. We are finishing up uh, John chapter 12. And so uh, some really powerful things. And one of the things that the Lord told Paul to exhort within the churches was for them to be faithful in the preaching of the word. He told them, preach the word in season. Paul told Timothy, preach the word in season and out. Be faithful to preach the word, not a word, not an opinion, not an idea, not a belief, not man's belief system. Preach the word. And when we preach the word, the truth and the riches of the word begin to unfold to us. It's kind of like one of those pop-up books, you know what I'm saying? You're looking through the Word, and all of a sudden, boom, something pops up. You're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was there. So the Word of God is powerful. It's living. And so we're going to take a few passages of Scripture here. I'm going to skip a little bit just because some of it's just, it's not necessary for the point that I'm making. But if you're following along, we're in John chapter 12, uh, verse 33. And I'm going to read through not all of it, but it'll be 33 through 50. It'll be the final part of the chapter. And Jesus said, by the kind of death he was going to die, he explains to them how he's going to die. And so the crowd answers him and says, we have heard from the word that the Christ remains forever. How is it that you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man you're talking about? Or who are you? And so Jesus said to him, the light is among you for just a little while longer. Therefore, walk in the light unless the darkness will overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where they are going. While you have the light, believe in the light. That the one who walks in darkness, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. But the people did not believe when Jesus said these things. And so they departed from him. And though he had done many signs and wonders before them, they still refused to believe. And so that the word that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah says, for their, bl- their eyes have been blinded and their hearts have been hardened, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and the truth would heal them. And then I'm gonna skip down to verse 49. And Jesus said, I have not spoken on my own authority, but on my Father's authority. For the one who has sent me has given me a commandment. Say this, he has given me a commandment. And that commandment is everlasting life. Aren't you glad? <laughs> What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So what's going on here in this chapter, Jesus has entered the city as king. He's come in on a donkey, hosannas, everybody's shouting, hosanna to the son of David. Their Bible spoke of a coming Messiah who would enter the city on a lowly riding on a colt. Their Bible spoke, the Old Testament spoke of a coming Messiah who would be known as the son of man and the son of David. Yeah, so he would be of the line of David, but he would also be in our image and our likeness. He's the monogenosh. He's one and only. There's no one like Jesus in heaven or in earth. No one like him. And he makes us in his image, which is amazing. Amen. And so they knew that this Messiah was going to come, and they knew that the time sequence, we talked about that, that the time sequence that was spoken of in the book of Daniel was was the time for the Messiah to come was now. He came entering on a cult, 
fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. And here they're referencing Daniel chapter 7. And they're saying, wait a second. The Messiah who is to come is to remain forever. The Messiah who is to come, the one of the son of David, he's going to have an everlasting kingdom and he's supposed to be eternal. Who the heck are you? They were very confused because he told them he was going to die. But he had already told them before he said this, he said, the seed must fall to the ground and die or it cannot produce a harvest. They were looking for the Messiah to bring the kingdom in its physical form. And what Jesus was saying, when I die, my kingdom will come, but it will not come in its physical form. It will be activated through the spiritual form. Man's greatest need is not physical, it's spiritual. It is the root of all of our problems, apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, your issues are spiritual. They are not circumstantial, they are not economic, they are not relational. Your problems are spiritual. You must come to Jesus. When you come to Christ, your problems are no longer, resol your problems are no longer spiritual, but your problems are emotional. <laughs> you do still have some emotional issues that you've got to rectify and get through and overcome and, and redeem. That's a different story, but your, your, your issues are no longer spiritual. They become emotional. But if you don't know Jesus, your biggest problem is spiritual. And so God so loved, he so sought our highest good that he came to meet our greatest need. Your greatest need isn't anything external. Our greatest need is what Jesus does to us internal. If we can understand what he has truly done for us internally, it's Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life, as the song goes. I don't know, Cece, you're old, that's Charmaine here. She's old school. Uh, somebody know that song? Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Anybody know that song? No, nobody knows that song? No, okay. It's old school. You're like, dude, that's like ancient. Yeah, I know, so work with me. And when they would sing that, the people would go, Oh, what a change in my life. So just give me an O. Oh, there you go. There you go. So I'm not the only one that looks crazy. So now you look crazy too. So we're all good. We're all family. And so the idea was that Christ would change us internally and we would understand the spiritual change that's within us and that we would become and enter into what he has given us, which is the new creation. He gives us the power to become who we truly are. Say it with me. I cannot be anything I want to be, but I can become everything I am created to be. Big difference. You say, my mom told me I could be anything I wanted to be. Well, can you sing? You know, everybody wants to win American Idol. You ever watched American Idol? Not everybody's going to win American Idol. You know what I mean? I want to be an NFL football star, but that just is not in the deck for me. You see what I'm saying? It just doesn't work. We can't be everything we want to be, but we can become everything we're created to be. Each one of us is created uniquely and designed by God to, to do something. You're created on purpose with a purpose. Created for great and mighty things. You're created for works that Christ has ordained before the foundations of the earth. And what happens is, is when we come to Jesus, we're aligned with him and we are supposed to live in and through the spirit. And as we live in and through the spirit, we become the person that we were destined to be and we reach the heights that we're supposed to be. The problem is, is that we're born again Christians, but we live naturally. We think that we're just burdened by the natural effects of this world. And what we're supposed to do when the world is affecting us naturally, and it will, we're supposed to go into the spirit. The overcoming power that the believer possesses is not in the natural world. It's in the spirit. We're more than conquerors, we're overcomers in the spirit. You get me? 
So when life's overwhelming you, it's into the spirit. And all of a sudden you'll tap into that victory that you know is yours. It's crazy stuff. But this is why Jesus came. He came for us to die for us, to bring us back into the family so that we now as believers would receive the new creation. You're a new creation. What a beautiful thing. And what we do and what God has called us to do is to live in and through that, to manifest that or make that part of our lives known. The only one that holds you back is you. You're the only one. You can't be afraid to be who God has called you to be. But the key is, is understanding who has God called you to be. And that's another teaching for another day. I mean, I could do an hour on that alone. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So David is the Messiah who's coming to the throne. And the people that were praising him and hailing him as king are now not willing to believe him. They don't believe him because he said he's going to die. And so he's supposed to be the son of David. He's supposed to be the son of man. He has come in the form of man. He is of the line of David. Matthew and Luke show that Jesus' ancestry is directly traceable through the line of David. Matthew goes from through the line of the kings all the way to, to, uh, to Jesus. Jesus' father, Joseph, was the rightful earthly king of Israel at the time, yet he was working as a carpenter. Why is that? Because Rome had taken over. Number one, well, there's a prophetic meaning to it too, but Rome had taken over and Rome didn't want Israel to have a king. Rome appointed a king. Herod was the king and he was appointed. He was not of the line of David. He was an illegitimate king. Jesus barely recognized him, if at all. He didn't even talk about him or talk to him because he was illegitimate. He was not rightfully heir to that throne. Jesus was heir to that throne. And so through, and, and Joseph's father, his ancestors, and you see this, I think it's in the, where is it? Jeremiah, I believe it's in Jeremiah. There was a king named Jehoiakim. He was the last of the Israeli kings, last of the Jewish kings. And God said, write this one childless. Not one of his descendants was set upon the throne. Well, what did Jehoiakim do? The Bible doesn't tell us what he did, but whatever he did was bad. And so God cut off the line of Jehoiakim. He cut off the line of David through Jehoiakim. And you're like, oh my gosh, that means that Jesus is illegitimate? No, Jesus is a descendant of David through the line of Mary as well. She is a direct descendant of David as well, but not through, the, it parts ways. Mary's line shifts through another one of David's sons called Nathan. And so Jesus is a bloodline heir through Mary, and he would be the legal legitimate heir if they were to open up the annals and the legal books. He's the prophetic heir, but he's also the legal and legitimate heir through David, through his father, and he's the bloodline heir through his mother. But he's the spiritual heir because he didn't have an earthly father. He had, a legal, he had a legal claim to the throne, and he had a bloodline claim to the throne, and he had a spiritual claim to the throne. His claim to Israel's throne is undisputed. He's the king of the Jews, right? So he is the Messiah. He is the son of David. He's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of the whole world, the king of the everlasting, the king of all things that are and all things that will ever be. And his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is here, yet his kingdom is coming. Their question is, aren't you supposed to live forever? You don't even have a kingdom and you're already talking about dying, man. Who are you? You know, we're all, we're all jazzed up here. We're thinking you come into the city and you're gonna throw, overthrow these Romans. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking that the, the Messiah has come because the Bible speaks when the Messiah comes, he will overthrow the world system and its empires. They knew this. They knew this. But they didn't understand that the prophecy of the Messiah was near and far, that there were two comings, which most prophetic words are always near and far. There's a near application and there's a longer vision application to that, to that word. And so the coming of the Messiah was a near coming as a suffering Messiah, one who would die for the sins of the world. That was clear all throughout the scripture. 
And then the second one, the one that they chose to buy into the, bit, the most, was that the Messiah would come as a ruling king, overthrowing earth's empires, and reestablish a worldly kingdom that centered in Jerusalem. Everybody say it with me. That one is yet to come. That's what's going to happen when Christ returns. He will overthrow this world. He just said it earlier in the chapter. Now is the, now is the judgment of this world. My offering and my payment and what I'm about to do will now throw this world into judgment. My actions and what I do on the cross will now entitle me and enable me to judge the kingdoms of this world. Because I will overcome through the cross and I will take back what is rightfully mine. Remember, remember Satan, what did he say? Bow down to me and I'll give you what? The kingdoms of this world. Jesus didn't dispute it. They belonged to the devil. They, they were his. Adam gave them away. And so Christ says, when I die on this cross and when I'm raising from the dead, I'm going to break all power. And one of the things that's going to happen is that I will be the legal right and I will be the legal claimant of this earth. It will be mine. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. And, these, and it will be mine. And now this world goes into crisis, which means point of decision. Now, because I've died and I've risen again, the world must come to a decision as to who I am. You either receive me, enter and be a part of the glorious everlasting kingdom, or you reject me. And if you reject me, the Bible likens it like this. It's, there's no simpler way to do it. It's like he's taking out the trash. That's basically what it means. Useless and worthless. You're like, we're useless and worthless? Apart from Christ, you're useless and worthless, Christian. I got news for you. That may be a harsh thing, but that's how the Bible frames this. You are outside of his kingdom. Your value and worth to God when he died for you outside of the kingdom. But if you reject him, you, you depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know who you are. Who are you? You get that? You guys are getting real quiet on me. You're like, oh my gosh. I thought Jesus loved us. He loves us with an everlasting love. His grace is upon the earth right now, willing that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. Jesus isn't delaying because he's got nothing better to do. He's delaying so that people can come to Christ, so that the gospel can be preached and people can be reached and the world can be brought to that decision point. He brought Israel to a decision point. He spoke of the Pharisees. He said, had I not come, they would not be, they, they, they would not be in sin. But now their judgment is full because they've rejected me face to face. They've had the opportunity to encounter me. They've had the opportunity to receive me and they've openly rejected me. And he actually speaks to the Pharisees. And again, this doesn't preach in modern day America, but this is, this is, these are the messages that bring revival. They bring revival, right? And he says, to them is reserved the hottest hell. That's what he spoke of the teachers because they're supposed to know it and they don't. They're supposed to know it and they reject me. They're supposed to lead others to me, but they themselves are blind leaders of the blind. Leave them alone. Brood of vipers, snakes, serpents, kind, loving Jesus. Yep, that's him. You understand this? This is what makes it when you come to Christ. This is what actually stands out is your exceptionality in face of this world. You are not common. I say it almost every week. You are not common to the Lord. You are so cherished by him because you have given your life to him. That means so much to him. And you're like, he means so much to me. I understand. But his love is greater. He loves us. I don't know why. I, I ask myself that question all the time. Like, why? <laughs> you know? Then why? You, you, he, when you understand how great his love is for you and how he is for you. And if you're a son and daughter and you are in Christ, you are not common. You are not common. 
I was just speaking to another woman. We, were a thing. we had a lot, little bit of Bible study stuff going on in this uh, memorial service for Tom. And a woman was talking to me about stuff that was going on. And, and she just had a, a court case completely thrown out. And it looked like it was going to go against her. And I told her, I said, I do not believe that we are the world's to judge. I don't believe that the Christian is under the authority of the ruling powers of this world unless we subject ourselves to it. I said, you're a daughter of the highest, I told her. I said, this court in God's eyes has no binding authority over you, right or wrong. The binding authority that is over you belongs to heaven alone. We belong to him and we are the ones that, that we belong to him. My wife, what are you doing, sir? Are you signaling me? <laughs> Sorry, anyway. You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Your circumstances do not rule you. Do you believe that? Do you? Do you believe that? Your circumstances want to rule you. They don't have authority to rule you. They don't have authority to rule you. The economic system of this world does not have authority to rule you. You are God's favored and God's chosen. This is what his word says. This may not be what your reality says, but this is what his word says. And we align with his word. I tell people all the time, I've been telling people like, like activate your favor. So I'm in, a, I'm in a down job market. I'm like, who told you that? I'm like, how many jobs you need? One, you know, God's got an open door for you. God is capable of aligning you with that. God is capable of providing you with that. God is capable. One of the things that way God blesses us, and this is why we pray for dreams and visions to be granted, because some of you, you don't need provision. You need an idea. Some of you, you don't need a provision. You need a creative concept that changes and revolutionizes your life. You need a dream and a vision that propels you up, out of, and through where you currently are. Your greatest need isn't necessarily a check in the bank or a check in the mail. Your need is a dream and a vision that takes your life in a completely different direction. A dream of a vision of who you are in Christ, a dream and a vision of who he is, a dream and a vision of what he has for you in the future. Dreams and visions granted. Or, you know, you can try to work it out on your own. I've tried that. It doesn't work really well. So I'd like to help you, save you guys some time. So it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't help you. So Jesus had told them, unless the seed falls to the ground, they were selective hearers and selective learners. They only wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. They didn't like what he said. They didn't like it. They're like, we don't want to hear that. You're going to die. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear how you're going to overthrow Rome. We want, to, we want to know how you're going to set us up as a kingdom. That's what we want to know. And Jesus is like, look, it's inside out, people. The seed must fall to the ground and die, and then a harvest will come. They didn't want to hear it. And Jesus, there's another verse in Matthew, and he says, what shall I liken this generation to? Right? It amazes me the things that Jesus says sometimes. He says, you are like children sitting in a marketplace, calling out to your companions. I love this verse. Saying, Lord, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance to our tune. We wanted you to do something for us and you just didn't do it the way we wanted you to do it. You weren't, you weren't culturally participating in the way that we wanted you to. And he says, we sang and we cried and we lamented and you did not cry our laments with us. We wanted you to be like this and you refused to be like that. It's not God as you understand him to be, it's who he declares himself to be, Christian. He does not, the Bible doesn't teach us that Jesus conforms into your image. It tells us that we are to conform into his image. We're to become like him. 
And what does that mean? That means we need to understand his heart. We need to understand his truths. We understand his kingdom. We understand his power. We understand his, pur his purposes. And when you do that and you see that and you live life through that, that's when life begins to change. But trying to get God on your agenda is never going to make him change, never going to bring change. It's simple. It's simple to understand. It's simple to say. It's difficult to apply. You can say, Lord, give me a vision for my marriage. <laughs> marriage doesn't work because you know why? We have, a, we, I'm trying to, so let me clarify that before somebody jumps off on that one. Marriage is difficult and more difficult than it needs to be because it lacks vision. Where there is no vision, the people what? That word vision means God-given revelation. Dreams and visions granted. God-given revelation. Where there is no God-given revelation, the people will perish. We have to have a God-given revelation for our homes. We have to have a God-given revelation for our lives, for our connection to the church, for how we are to raise our children. Right? Let's try that one on. How many of you guys have children that are nothing like you? Do you have children that are nothing like you? Anybody? I have children that are nothing like me. Right? Some of that's like me, but then there's other parts of their personality that I'm like, I don't know where that came from. You know, I've never seen that before. You know what I'm saying? And we need a God-given revelation to manage, develop, coach, and steward the uniqueness of our children because they're incredibly unique. And what happens a lot of times, the exasperation happens with our children. And I've raised children, so I'm qualified to answer this one, right? The exasperation that happens with our children is we're trying to conform our children into our vision of who they are. Rather than trying to understand their uniqueness and take that personhood and direct them to the Lord and all of the things that he's about, honor, faithfulness, trust, life, all of these things, we instill in them the mindset and teach them you can be creative, but you need to be creative for Jesus. You can be creative and draw from a culture that is not this culture. Satan has literally encroached himself and invaded the art community. Can we redeem that, please? Can we please buy back and regain the artistic community and stop surrendering that? Can we do that? And we raise our children to be in that community, but not of it. You can have a value system that differs from theirs. You can be different than them. And if they have an issue with it, that's their issues, but that's not Jesus's issue. That's the other people's issues. The culture thinks that they push this conformity and try to take over the art. Do you know why? In the beginning, God, what? That's right. Do you know how God introduces himself to us? He doesn't even introduce himself to us as father. He introduces himself to us as creator. This, it's, the, it's one of the singularities of his name. He's multiple, but his nature is so powerful that when he exerts his nature, it seems like that's all he is. So when God exerts his love, you think that's all he is, even though God is love. Yes, God's a creator. Yes, God's father. Because when he exerts his nature, his nature is so strong, it feels very singular. When he exerts himself as father, it feels like that's all God is, is he's father. No, God's creator. When he exerts his creation, you're like, wow, God's creator. He's multifaceted and multidimensional, but he's very forceful and powerful in the personhood that he is. And the devil tries to invade the nature of God and break the nature of God within the culture. He tries to take over. What does he take over? The creative community. Why? Because he blasphemes the Lord. And we just sit back and twiddle our thumbs and go, well, I guess that's just the way it is. He takes over the family and redefines the family. What is a family? Why? Because God's a father. 
He breaks the generation and, break, and creates fatherlessness. Why? Because he's marking and blaspheming and profaning the image of a father all the way around. It's what happens. And we have to redeem that. We have to be a people that is a different value system, right? We don't need to fist fight anyone, but we certainly shouldn't be silent. We shouldn't be silent. Listen, these ideas are not yours. They're your father's. Hmm? We, we think we got to, we, we, we are not to represent this culture. We represent his culture. Do you get that? Some, somehow the church has lost this script. We represent this culture way more than we represent his culture. And we need to represent his kingdom. I don't say things because they're necessarily approved by me. It's irrelevant what I think. It's what my father says. My father says this is right, and my father says this is wrong. So there are things that are right, and there are things that are wrong. Well, who defines that? Not me. Who defines that? Not the government. Who defines that? Not the culture, not the media, not vocal groups that just want to shout. They don't have the right to define that. The only one who has that right to define righteousness is the Lord. And that, come on, somebody help me. <laughs> and we, his people, are to represent that. You understand? We represent him. And you can even say, not my idea, Jesus' idea. Not my call, that's the Lord's call. Sorry. Doesn't mean we're not broken. Doesn't mean we're, you know, there's a lot of brokenness and there's a lot of pieces in the fracture and all the brokenness is always going to be there. What the problem is, is when we move the boundary stone, the problem isn't the brokenness. There's always going to be brokenness. We're always going to fall short of the mark, falling short of the mark, falling short of the mark. We're broken people. But that doesn't mean we've moved the boundary stone. God corrected Israel because they moved the ancient boundary stones. What does that look like in modern day America? Well, if you're born a man and you think you're a boy, or if the school system wants to sit you down and counsel you at six or seven years old on what your gender actually is, that's moving the boundary stone. That, that's moving the boundary stone. In the beginning, God made them male and female. Male, female. The genders are established. Yeah, come on. You know what's sad? What's sad is the church's position on this is non-vocal. Non-vocal. I had a guy sitting here and he told me, he listened, he said, the first week you said you came and I said this, and I'm not looking to be controversial. I don't want to be controversial. I don't know why that's controversial. You know what I'm saying? Why is that controversial? A boy looks like this, a girl looks like this. Why is that controversial? And he was even telling me, he goes, you know, that would get you fired from most mega churches. I said, I'm sure it would. I said, I'm sure it would. You know why? Because they won't say it. They won't represent the one who has put them in the position to represent him. You are in the, I'm in this position to represent him. And you are in this family to represent him. It's what we are. In the face of an overwhelming, but yes, an onslaught of culture. I'm already shadow banned on Facebook, so let's just go a little further. <laughs> My wife's like, please don't. <laughs> Thank God. Miami-Dade School Board just voted to not teach a politically motivated, gender disruptive agenda in our schools. 
Come on. Come on. Come on. Messi scored a goal. Guess what? Miami School Board, you scored a goal. <laughs> My wife and I were talking about that. And I go, what does that have to do with math? What does that have to do? What gives you the right to emotionally educate or sexually educate my child? What gives you that right? Who gave you that authority? I didn't give you that authority. You know what I'm saying? Thank God. Parents, thank God for the community of Miami who didn't roll over. Thank God. We're not rolling over. If that kid wants to be taught that, be taught that at home. You're not taught that in our schools. <laughs> All right, I digress. <laughs> ah, yes. Hmm. Yes, it's all about Jesus. Let's come back to Jesus. Their expectations were high, and Jesus wasn't living up to their vision. We have to live up to Jesus' vision. We have to live up to who he is. And our lives have to reflect, not suppressed. Listen, and I'm going to do my best to talk about freedom here in a second. We have to understand what freedom actually looks like and who we truly are in him. And that's incredibly important. And the people were disappointed and they turned away. This isn't kind, loving Jesus who accepts anything that I want to do. I'm leaving. What do you mean? There's actually a right and a wrong? I have to actually live up to a standard? Ha! Huh, I'm leaving. What do you mean? I have to surrender my whole life to Jesus? I have to give all of me away? All of me? Every part of my life belongs to Jesus? They walked away. Yes, all of you. Mind, will, emotion. Spirit, soul, and body. All of you belongs to him. So Peter is saying, do you not understand? Do you not know? You were bought with a price. Understand, you belong to him. That's great news. If I belong to anybody, I want to belong to Jesus. He is kind, he is loving, and he calls me his own. And he is the forceful power and the ruler of all that is and ever will be. I don't want darkness to own me. I want to be owned by light. I don't want to even be owned by myself. Have you seen yourself? Have you really seen the choices that you make? Really? You want to be in charge of your life? Really? Come on. But you know what God does? He doesn't force himself on you. He gives you the opportunity to partner with him. Come on. Share your dreams with me. Share your ideas with me. Share your heart. That's beautiful, Daphne. I love that. But what if we do a greater job with that? I had a friend of mine, and he wrote a book. And he wrote a book, and he said he, he threw the manuscript away. It took him a year and a half to write a book. And he said, the Lord said to him, do you want to write a good book, or do you want to write a great book? And, the Lord, and he said, well, Lord, I want to write a great book. And he said, well, the one you have is good. But he said, you did it on your own. If you'll partner with me, I'll show you how to write a great book. You have a great idea. You have a good idea. You know, some of you got good ideas. You're great. You're good idea people. But as my wife loves to say, Jesus is the genius in the room. So I'll credit you that one with Sherry. There you go. She says amazing things, a lot of amazing things. He's the genius in the room. He gives you the opportunity to share your life with him and to partner with him and to be, in, be, in, be engaged with him. And he'll take it further. He says, this light you have with you only a little while longer. Walk in the light. Give yourself to the light. Follow the light. That dark, less darkness overtake you. He uses this Greek word, phos. Crazy word. 
It doesn't mean I am a light. It means I am the source of all light. I am not a light. I am the literal source of light. Light exists because of me. I'm not part of the light, you know? Light doesn't just, I don't exist in the light. I am the light. It means a light filled without shadows. It, it is written in a present tense, meaning you already have it. This light is eternal life. When you receive Christ, this is the power that comes into you. That's, what that, that's that kind of like what happened, you know, when you give your life to Jesus and you're born again. You wake up and you're not cussing anymore and you're like, wow, that's weird. I used to cuss all the time, right? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody here? Maybe that was only my problem. You know, that wasn't your problem. I spoke two languages. I spoke English and profanity. And I was very articulate. I was fluent in profanity. I was. That was one of the things. That was one of the miracles. I was like, I can't cuss anymore. I don't want to cuss anymore. Crazy. Anyway, another story. Thank you, Jesus. But this false energy and it's eternal life. And what the Christian doesn't understand and the way that we teach it is that when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to give us eternal life. That's not what it says. It says you're giving it now. You live forever right now. Eternal life is in you. When you die, it's like taking off a garment and walking into another room. That's what death is to the believer. It's the putting off of a tent, the Bible says. You just take it off and walk through the door. That's death to the believer because you know why? You already have eternal life. Eternal life is in you. The Holy Spirit has given it to you. You say, I don't feel like it. Doesn't matter if you feel like it, it's true. Say, I don't look like it. Doesn't matter if you look like it, it's truth. If you've asked Christ in your heart, it is yours. Never to be taken away. The root word that focuses on this word, false, this root word where there's a, there's a word, I, I got to pronounce it right. I didn't write it down, but it's ahinois ahi, ahi or something like that. But the root word of that word, when it talks about this everlasting life, that it's, is, is it talks about quality of experience. So what it looks like is it looks like this. Right now, we have eternal life but we have a limitation within the experience of everlasting life. In other words, eternal life is in you, but eternal life only manifests when you're in the spirit. This is why when you're in the spirit, there's that illumination. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about here, right? Come on, we're spiritual church, right? When you're in the spirit, there's like this power, there's this like light, there's this love, there's this whatever. That is the experiential power of the eternal life that resides within you. And so that life is yours, but it is limited through human experience because it's very difficult to walk in the spirit all the time. But we have it and we can enter into that world and we can experience and encounter internal life anytime we want it. The world doesn't get to do that, but you do if you're born again and you know what I'm talking about. And if you say, well, I kind of don't know what you're talking about. Well, then if you're a Christian, you need to learn to enter in. I suggest you stick around for second service worship and just saturate. Holy Spirit, I'm entering in. Lean in. Don't check your cell phone while we're singing the songs. Lean in. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. It's just start singing the song, and you're going to feel his presence. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit will affirm it. Yes, I am. My goodness is running after you, and you'll start feeling the waves of his spirit. And as the waves of his spirit, and just let it rise within you with fullness. You have to learn to give yourself to the things of the spirit. Say it with me. It's not natural. It's supernatural. That's why it's difficult for some people because it's not natural to them. This it doesn't seem like a natural thing to do. And some people go, oh, it just seems like childlike. It just seems like I feel like a baby. Like, what am I supposed to do? Just sit there and receive? Yes, you are. 
You're supposed to receive the kingdom like a child. That's exactly how you're supposed to receive, like a child, open and innocent, receptive. That's how it happens. And you begin to practice that presence and illuminate yourself into that presence. And then it be, you be, that's eternal life. That's who you are in the everlasting world. When we come to Jesus, we have it in fullness. When you pass through the veil or if the Lord comes, we have that, that, that is who you will be forever. That personification of that illuminated person and that transcendent person will be your everlasting personhood. You won't know what to do. You won't be able to stop smiling. You'll just be like, I just can't stop smiling, man. You know, you're like, this doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. You know what I'm saying? Like now we get in the spirit and then Monday morning we're out of the spirit and we want to kill somebody. That's kind of like how it is, right? Ready to throw a chair through the window, something like that. Welcome to my world. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, you, know, you know what I mean? You're in the spirit, you're out of the spirit, you're in the spirit, you're out of the spirit. When you enter his world, you become that fully. That is the fullness of who you are eternally, an everlasting world. That's why it's the joy of the Lord. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It's everlasting joy. We just walk around and smile all the time. Hey, what's going on? Ah, man, everything's good, man. Yeah, everything's really good. Woo. Yeah, it's really good. How about you? Yeah, it's, how's it going, Elias? Yeah, it's really good. Good. He's going to look back at me and go, yeah, man. It's good. I'll look at Tony and we'll just be like this. We won't even say anything. We'll just be smiling and nodding. Yeah. Come on. It's given to us through Jesus. No one else has it. And if you don't have it, you can have it in Jesus. It's a free gift. He offers it. Whosoever comes, I will no way cast away. I'm not going to push you away. You're not going to push you away. Your brokenness doesn't offend me. Your hurt, your pain, your shame, your guilt, your whatever, your ego, your pride, none of that offends me. Set it down and come to me. Set it down and come to me. Nothing else, is, nothing else matters to you. It's how much Jesus cares for us. He sees us in spite of our circumstances. Nobody like Jesus. Nobody like Jesus. I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit. I'm going to come back to this other part. We'll close. In, in, in verse 49, he says, I do not speak of my own authority. He says, but I speak with the Father who has sent me, and he has given me this commandment. And this commandment, is, the commandment that he gives is everlasting life. Wow. Therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. He says two things. The first thing he says is, I'm not speaking on my own authority. Why would he say that? He had every right to speak on his own authority. But in Deuteronomy, they were taught that a prophet is not to speak on their own authority. If a prophet speaks, he is to demonstrate something or don't believe him. There must be something that is demonstrated. He must speak prophetically, and that prophetic word must bear witness with truth. Or there may be signs, wonders, and miracles. They could not speak on their own authority. They had to speak with witnesses or witness demonstration. The prophet had to have a witness demonstration. And so that's why, Jesus, that's why many signs and wonders, that's why John says he spoke, and he says, I don't speak on my own authority. I speak in alignment with heaven. So the words that I speak are in alignment with heaven. And, this, and the words that I speak are in alignment with my works and my deeds. Therefore, if you were a good Jew in those days, they were obligated to hear that prophet. They were commanded to hear the prophet. The prophet who speaks bearing witness, you are to hear him. You are to pay attention to him. And they didn't. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's talking about Deuteronomy here. He's leaning into Deuteronomy when he's talking to them. This actually is a standard within the American church, within the, not the American church. This is a standard within the New Testament church. This, is, this was the standard that Paul laid down to the New Testament church. In the book of Corinthians, which is Christians gone wild. You want to talk about Christians gone wild? I mean, like really wild? This is, this is like Corinthian church was gone wild. And one of the things that was happening was, is they had a lot of people coming in, you know, with skinny jeans and smoke machines. I'm all in, but they had no demonstration. 
So it was lots of skinny jeans, lots of smoke machines, lots of flex, lots of, lots of, lots of pumping words going on, and no one could demonstrate power. But man, they had Ferraris on the stage, and the pastor could bungee cord, you know, enter the stage with a flip and a turn, and you know, they had all kinds of stuff. They had worship jamboree going on, you know. I'm all in. If that's great, that's great, but put something else behind it. There must be demonstration in power. And that what Paul tells this Corinthian church is the same thing that mirrors in Deuteronomy. Listen, listen to the dude that can demonstrate power. Demonstrate power. He says, because their church was going on to super apostles and Paul was correcting them. He's like, I know I'm not a super apostle because these guys had come in, you know, and they have the new, they got the Gucci, the Gucci robes on, right? Flex in the shades and, the, and, and all of that. You know, they're, they're lensed, they're all good. They come up there and they start preaching. And the church is like, woo, woo. Paul doesn't preach like that, woo. And Paul said, nope, I don't. But he said, I have demonstration in power. That's what he told him. <laughs> Quiet. Crickets. When I came to you, my speech was not with persuasive words or speaking to you on human wisdom. Most of our teachings in America, unfortunately, and I'm not picking on the church, I'm calling for a correction, are nothing more than persuasive words with human wisdom. There's some good ideas. Preach Jesus. We're called to preach the gospel of Jesus. If you preach Jesus, all of that's gonna be there. Life change is gonna be there. Transformation's gonna be there. Healthy marriage is gonna be there. Preach Jesus, not concepts. Paul says, my speech to you was not with persuasive words, nor did I teach you human wisdom but with demonstration and the power of the Spirit. This is how I brought the kingdom to you. With demonstration, he taught them, but he taught them with demonstration and the power of the Spirit. Why? That your faith would not be rooted in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That our faith wouldn't be, wouldn't be rooted in some dude with Gucci flexing on the stage. Right? Our faith is not rooted in man, it's rooted in Christ. And the reality of who he is. Now look, I'm all into production value and we should look good. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm, man is moved by what they see. I get all that. God's moved by the heart. But the problem is, is when it's all show and no go, that becomes a problem. That's where the problem is. So let me articulate that very clearly. All show and no go is a problem. It is. It is. And what has to happen is the Christian and the church has to grow in maturity and realize I don't need bubble gum anymore. You know what I'm saying? I'm kind of tired of Tic Tacs. You know, I'm sugared out, man. I get lemonade every week here and I'm, I'm sugared out. No, you need, the Bible says, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Desire the meat of the word that you may grow thereby. We don't just need milk, we need meat. This is how we get stronger. When the teaching is above your head, Christian, it forces you to reach for something. It causes you actually to use your muscles. You understand? It makes you do something instead of sitting there passively. When the teaching is above your head, you must engage and you must lean in and you must seek to understand or you must draw from it. And that's what makes you stronger. And we need to be stronger. God help the church to be stronger. We are a sleeping giant. We have so much power. We have so much authority. We have so much influence. If the church would rise to her level of her birth and we could have a unified voice in that arena, lights out. The devil freaks out about that, you know? He's not, he's not freaked out about candy cane gumballs. That doesn't freak him out. 
What freaks them out is Christians who know their identity. And so when the devil crosses your threshold, you're like, devil, wrong house. I know who I am. I know what I am. I know what belongs to me. You get me? Taking authority in our personal lives, beginning to take authority in our outer arenas, and then beginning to take authority in the world. We are an authoritative group. We are the, we, the only one who holds spiritual power in this world is the Christian. The only one. True spiritual power. There's darkness, but we hold the superior power. We do. Amen. Come on, Shirley. You just got your report back, didn't you, Shirley? Did you get your report back from the doctor? Sherry was telling me. Not yet. You're working on it. Yeah. Yeah. Just show her healing. She's completely healed. Amen. Yeah. And so this word, this word command, this is, I want to hover here just for a minute because this is important. This word command, it means an illegal injunction of the court. This command that I've received from my father is everlasting life. God has issued, the father has issued a legal decree that through the action of the son, that this, this is the command, that all who enter into the action of the son are to be given everlasting life. It's a legal decree. It cannot be rescinded. You're given everlasting life when you surrender to Christ. No one can take it from you. No one, no one can take you out of his hand. No one can snatch you out of his hand. You belong to him. It's a legal order. It shifts the legal right of the person. It's actually a protective order. An injunction of the court that's a protective order and it shields you from the power of death. You are shielded from the power of death. Why don't you say this, because some of you are looking at me like I'm like from Mars. Say this, in the name of Jesus, by his blood, his power, his resurrection, and the Holy Spirit, and the love of my heavenly Father, I am shielded now and forever <laughs> from the power of death. Right. You are. You are. Hallelujah. So here's the question. How should you live if you knew you were shielded from death? Hmm? If you were to live your life, if you knew that you couldn't lose and you knew that there, you were shielded from the power of death, who or what would you be? What should you do? We possess the power of eternal life and we experience that through the Holy Spirit. But what binds us in this world is fear. We're bound in this world by the fear of other people. Are we not? The things that bind us to the personhoods that we truly are in Christ, some of you have voices within you. That's why, he's your son, right? The boy that I prayed for, Nathan, he's your son? Yeah, same thing. Like God's calling him out. But the binding right that will try to apply itself to him is fear, to retreat from who God is calling him to be or to be the image of what, who someone else wants him to be. And that's what happens to us is that we, we allow fear. So the fear comes in two forms. It comes through external forces, right? With a lot external forces, acceptance, fear of man, all of these things, or it comes through inward voices that lie against us. Who do you think you are? Well, I don't think I'm anybody, right? You know, you failed before, you'll fail again. Well, Jesus doesn't say that, right? Go back to this verse, and I shared it last week. I'm running out of time. Went back to this verse last week. It says, whom he predestined, whom he called at Kaleo, he summons you to himself. This is Romans. He summons you to himself. Kaleo, you come. And the Lord says, I have a predetermined destiny for you, Joe. I have great and mighty things that are beyond your understanding. I have works that I've prepared just for you before the foundations of the earth, a predetermined path, right? 
if you will align with it, right? That's how these things happen. I agree. It's not like, okay, Jesus, do that for me. No, you work with him, right? And then the next word says, whom he called, he gave a predetermined destiny, and who he gave a predetermined destiny, he justified them. So when people say, well, who do you think you are to believe something like that? Jesus justifies you. Your justification doesn't come from yourself. Your justification doesn't come from people around you. Your justification comes from Jesus. He justifies you to become the person that he has called you to become and to, become, and, and to achieve the things that he has set before you to achieve. He's justified you. And the end result is glorification, which is what we were talking about, kavod, weight, in order that your life would have weight, that your life would have substance. I've done this for you, Joe. I call you to myself and I wanna show you a path. I wanna show you a future. I wanna show you possibilities, possibilities, eternal possibilities. And you don't have to worry about who says you're qualified. I qualify you. I justify you. I say you can do this. Doesn't matter if anybody else does. I say you can. But why are you doing that, Lord? So that your life would have weight. So that your life would have meaning. That at the end of days, your life has meaning. Don't you want your life to have meaning? How good he is that he wants our lives to have meaning. How good he is that he wants our lives to have purpose. How he loves us. How he loves us. Say, Jesus, give me that vision for my life. Say that. I hear your call, Lord. We're going to do it right now. I come before you. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to give me dreams and visions to speak to me and reveal to me great and mighty things related to my life that I know not of. I promise, Lord, to not seek this on my own because I cannot achieve it. I promise, Lord, to align with your will, your heart, your purposes, and in the communion of the Holy Spirit, to take the next steps that are necessary with the alignment of this predetermined path that you have for me from the foundations of the world. I will not fear men, come on. I will not fear men. I will not fear external circumstances. I will not, hear, I will not fear the traitorous voices within me. My voice does not justify me. The outer world does not justify me. My circumstances or my place, my current place within this world. Come on, help me out, man. You guys want this, you gotta pray it. You guys are getting silent on me. My, my current circumstances do not justify me for the things that you have set before me. You are the one who justifies me. And I desire to experience and to carry the weight of my purpose upon my life and to present that weight to you on that final day, Lord, and to give it to you as tribute and to cast it before your feet for all of time and space to see. In Jesus' name, I pray. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Woo! First service is on f fire today. Come on, fuego. All right, last thing, right? Last thing. He tells them to walk in the light and become sons of light. This is, again, this invitation back to family. Become sons and daughters of the light. The light is here. Come into the family, son and daughter. God has nothing but good for you. Nothing but kindness for you. You say, I don't deserve kindness. None of us do. Nobody deserves kindness. If you really want to get down on it, but he loves you. He cares for you. And God wants you to see yourself in him as he sees you. And if the Lord, say with me, if the Lord will be gracious to me, then I must be gracious to me. If the Lord is kind towards me, then I will be kind towards myself. I will not elevate my opinion of myself. 
greater than his of me. And I will not lower my opinion of myself less than that of me, of what he has of me. Amen? Just say this with me. This is my statement of record <laughs> before the court of heaven. And I renounce all statements to the contrary. The Lord says this, if you reject the light, then darkness overtakes you. This is a hard concept in modern people to understand what darkness really is. In this world, when the light, when the sun went down, it was absolute, utter darkness. We didn't have headlights. You know, when we drive home at night, even if it's dark, it's still pretty bright out. We got street lights, we got headlights. You know, there's always some kind of light going on around us, lights in our yard. We don't really ever truly experience a moment in outer darkness, unless you're like in Patagonia somewhere, you know, where there is no light. But that is what Jesus is talking about. Without me, it is nothing but outer darkness. And those who walk without me, if you're walking without me, darkness means you're clueless, means you're headed for inevitable destruction. That's what it means. When you don't walk in the light and you're not part of the light, you are in darkness. And it's so dark that you don't even know anything beyond the darkness. When we don't walk in Christ, a lot of times we're clueless in our lives. God's got a purpose. God's got a light. This is for somebody. I keep coming back to purpose. That there's a light of truth and a way that God has for you. Without Christ, there is no light. There is no light. There's just darkness. As a Christian, you're, in, you're a part of the light. Walk in that light. Draw from that light. God's got an answer. He's got an answer. He's got an answer. He's got an answer for you. He cares for you. He'll turn it all around. It's like that woman I shared with you. It was like Jesus just walked in the room. And all of a sudden, it was like a presence entered the room. And the whole atmosphere changed. And they're like, well, we don't know why we're doing this, but we're going to do this. And everything changed. And it was like he walked in the room. He walked in the room. And this woman had asked me to come and to support her. You know, would you come and support me when this is going on? And Sherry and I literally got off the elevator and we're running down the hallway because we're going to go to this meeting. It starts in five minutes. And she meets us in the hallway and she said, it's already over. I'm like, what do you mean it's already over? And she said, they, 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 they ruled in my favor. They've given it to us, you know, and it wasn't supposed to go that way. It was supposed to go another way. And, but God, but God, <laughs> he walks in the room. <laughs> Don't be in darkness. If you're out there this morning and anybody is here today and you've never given your life to Christ, the Bible says you're in darkness. You're in darkness. It says if that darkness is in you, how great is that darkness? It's a darkness where you see no hope, you see just despair, you see emptiness, or you're in a darkness that believes you're the source of all things, or you're in darkness that believes you can do all things. You cannot do anything without Christ. John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Bible tells us again in the New Testament, in him we live, move, and have our being. In him is life, and that life is the light of men. The only way out of darkness is into Jesus. And the Bible says it very simply. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. It's a spiritual transaction that takes place at the level of the heart, not the mind. Jesus never reasons with the mind. He reasons with the heart. And so you don't have to understand it in order to believe it. And so we're going to say a prayer here this morning. And if you've never given your life to Christ, today's your day. If you're out there and you're watching and you've never given your life to Christ, today's your day. Today's your day. Come out of darkness and into light right now in Jesus' name. Let's just pray. Father, I believe that Jesus is Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me.
I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. We have a prayer team available for you over there. If you need prayer for anything, we want to pray for you and bless you. Let me pray a blessing over you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may the Lord give you peace. And forever may you live within his favor in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Life Group Rally, sorry, man. <laughs> I love the jam. Life Group Rally, tables available.